Today's scripture reading is from Acts 18, 18 through 27. In addition to your own Bible, you may find it on the back side of your message notes. Or, on, or beginning on page num, number 794 in your own worship Bible. Please follow along as I read. After this, Paul stayed many days longer and then took leave of the brothers and set sail for Syria. And with him Priscilla and Aquila. At the Shonsrei he had cut his hair, for he was under a vow. And then and they came to Ephesus, and he left them there. But he himself went to, into the synagogue and reasoned with the Jews. When they asked him to stay for a longer period, he declined. But on taking leave of them, he said, I will return to you if God wills. And he set sail from Ephesus. When he had landed at Caesarea, he went up and greeted the church and went down to Antioch. After spending some time there, he departed and went from one place to the next through the region of Galatia and Phrygia, strengthening all the disciples. Now a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. He was an eloquent man, competent in the scriptures. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and being fervent in spirit, he spoke and taught accurately the things concerning Jesus, though he only knew the baptism of John. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue, but when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. And when he wished across to Achaia, the brothers encouraged him and wrote to the disciples to welcome him. When he arrived, he greatly helped those through grace he had believed. This is the word of God. Thank you, Justin. That was great. Didn't he do a good job? Yeah. A lot of big words and old, uh, old cities' names in there, so good work, Justin. Yeah, it wasn't very nice of your grandmother to give you such a hard reading, but you, you can't blame her. I'm the one that <laughs> picked this scripture uh, 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 for us today. The reason we picked it, of course, is because we're on a study through the book of Acts. We've been started at last Pentecost, last May, and we're this far into the, uh, into the uh, 18th chapter. We're going to take a break from it while we do this special Greater Love Project coming up. But we've been enjoying watching the spread of the church from a small band of followers of Jesus in the city of Jerusalem all the way across the known world towards, uh, uh, towards Rome itself, and we're following that path this morning as we, as we continue through the 18th chapter. One of the things that we've noticed as we're doing this is that when Jesus gets involved with people's lives, it makes a huge transformation in the way that they live. They're not the same people once they come to know Jesus. Once God gets a hold of their lives, something new happens, and they're transformed from the inside out. And we find that that is true of the Christian message in general. When you begin to explore the Christian faith, as I'm sure some of you are, you need to know that there's one thing that will come through loud and clear. The Christian life is not merely an academic exercise. It's not simply about things to know, boxes to check, beliefs to have. It involves those things, but it's so much more than that. The Christian life is a relationship, a living, vital, dynamic, healthy, growing relationship with a real person, and that person is the resurrected Jesus Christ who comes to us in the person of His Holy Spirit and changes us from the inside out in the same way that when you got married, you'd had a relationship with utterly changed you, and it wasn't merely intellectual, it was personal and spiritual. It involved all of yourself in the same way when you come into relationship with Jesus you're changed. You're transformed. You're uh, brought closer and closer in relationship with God. The Christian life involves a life-changing encounter with Jesus Christ. For Christians, 
Jesus is not simply a subject to study. Jesus is a person to know. And not just any person. Jesus becomes the most important person in the human being's life, in the Christian life. The goal of the Christian life is not information, but transformation. Being a follower of Jesus changes who I am. Makes me want to ask myself, how does Jesus relate to me? Does Jesus live on the exterior, the periphery of my life as one of many? Or is Jesus more like my wife or my husband, integral to my life, an essential part of who I am? The goal of the Christian life is not information, as I said, but transformation. I'm changed from the inside out. But what does that change look like? What does Christian spirituality look like when it works within us? What is it at work? We're not clones to one another. Often, we look at other people and we say, well, because this is my experience, it's got to be yours. This is the way I came to faith, so you've got to come to faith that way. This is the way God works in my life. So he, you know how we do that, right? We do that. We're not clones to one another. We're all different. We're unique. The way God works in our lives will be different from one another based upon our backgrounds, our temperaments, our, the place we live, the education that we have. Many things uh, are different about us and make us different kind of people. The way God works in our life will be different from one another. But we can learn a lot by watching how God works in other people's lives. And so this morning, as we take a look at this text which Justin read to us, we want to see how the Christian life, uh, uh, how the Christian spirituality shows itself up in four different settings in this story. How does the work of God express itself in these different people's lives? We're going to look at, you know, Paul and Apollos and Priscilla and some unnamed disciples. And as we look at them, maybe we can learn something for us but how it is that God works in our lives. So let's take, first of all, and you can jot this down in your notes, at Paul, the apostle from Tarsus. At Paul, the apostle from Tarsus. We've been getting to know Paul. We've seen him in many of his activities, but there are some snippets of information about Paul in this text which have already fascinated me uh, and have fascinated me. I remember the first time I came across part of what I'm going to share with you next, I was in college. And I was just reading through the book of Acts. And I came across this little phrase in, uh, uh, in, in, in verse 18 that Justin read for you. After this, Paul stayed many days longer and then took leave of the brothers, set sail for Syria, and with him Priscilla and Aquila. At Sencre, he had cut his hair, for he was under a vow. Hmm. Paul got a haircut. It's in the Bible. It's important. Why is it there? I remember reading that. I thought, why, first of all, did Paul get a haircut in Sancria? And secondly, why is it in the Bible? Well, we're told, more or less, he got a haircut because he had taken some kind of vow. Why is this included? I don't know exactly why, but we see that just before he left for Ephesus, the Apostle Paul got a haircut. His biographer, a doctor named Luke, who wrote two books in the New Testament, Luke and Acts, he tells us that it had something to do with a vow that Paul had taken. You see, this is something about Paul's spirituality that we're seeing underneath the surface of his life. 
It was a vow that he had taken. Did Luke, I wonder, and I asked myself, did Luke know what vow it was and conceal it from us? Or maybe Luke didn't know. Maybe its essence was only known to Paul, or maybe Luke assumed we would know when he said it. You know, either way, it doesn't seem fair. You know, if it's in the Bible, I want to know why it's there, right? Don't you? What's it there for? Uh, uh, We read the Bible to gain spiritual enrichment. If Paul had taken a vow, shouldn't we know something about what it is? Why keep us in the dark? Or maybe, as I reflected on this, the fact that we don't know is part of the point. Do you have a spiritual life which is deeper than anybody knows about? Are there aspects of your life which are deeply spiritual? You know, perhaps the content of Paul's vow is of less consequence than the fact that he made one. Here he is a public figure teaching the Scriptures, expounding them, writing letters, planting churches at the forefront of what God is doing But like Jesus who spent the night in prayer before he went on the day of ministry, the Apostle Paul has an interior life. The interior life of the Apostle Paul is what this points to. We don't know much about it, but what I love about this is that there was more to Paul than what met the eye. His spirituality was not always on public display. Now, it's very possible and likely perhaps that Paul had taken what was called the Nazarite vow something spoken of in the Old Testament, a vow most notably taken by that strong man named Samson. You ever heard of Samson? What do you know about Samson? He was strong and he had his hair because he had taken a Nazarite vow. And the apostle Paul may have taken that vow as a vow, a special consecration to the Lord of, of, of reminding oneself. And, you know, I've done vows of this nature sometimes when I've grown beards. You know, when you grow, start to grow a beard or grow a mustache, it's like your whole life changes. You feel it every day. It's getting big. You know, it's, it's something conscious. And if your hair is growing and getting long, people might ask you, why, is you, why are you growing your hair? And you often maybe don't tell them. Maybe, Paul, oh, I just thought I'd let it grow long, you see. But maybe there's another reason, a reminder to yourself, you see. Yeah. Uh, Samson took the Nazarite vow, and and that involves letting your hair grow. Maybe that's what it was for Paul. Maybe it involved, uh, maybe that's why Paul got a haircut. If you were with us last week, you remember Paul had been in Corinth, and he started a church there, and he was experiencing fear, trepidation. He He was afraid. We don't know why, because the ministry seemed to be going pretty well. But in the ninth and tenth verses, the verses just before this a little bit, the Holy Spirit came, the Lord came to Paul in a vision and says, do not be afraid, Paul, but keep on speaking and do not be silent, for I am with you and no one will attack you in order to harm you, for I have many people in this city. And Paul stayed in that city another year and a half. That's what it says. So obviously something was going on for Paul, maybe as a result of that as perhaps a way of his dealing with his need to just run off and do new things. He had now stayed in one city for as long, for the whole 18 month, the longest he'd stayed since he'd become a missionary. And he stayed there and he began to work there. Maybe that's when he decided he'll take a vow to remember God was with him. God would protect him. God would lead him. And now he's leaving Corinth, and he's going to send Crea, which is on the opposite edge of Corinth. It's, it's sort of at the outskirts of Corinth, And maybe that's why he's taking the vow. But the point is, we really don't know. The point to me is that the Apostle Paul had a spiritual depth which goes beyond the surface of his life. You know, uh, we're afforded a peek into Paul's personal spirituality. His life with God was genuine and authentic. 
He had a depth which went beyond his public persona. And Luke, who wrote Acts, wants us to have a peek at Paul's inner spirituality. It makes me wonder, how deep is my spirituality? How deep is our spirituality? Is there a depth to your walk with God which is deep and intimate and personal? When was the last time, for example, that you made a vow before God, a personal, private vow? You know, we're coming into the Lenten season. Traditionally, it's a time when people think about giving something up or adding something. It's a, it's a time to, uh, to, to specially focus on Jesus. And, you know, we're talking about love. Maybe there's a, a vow that you want to take during the course of the Lenten season. I'm not asking. I'm just saying personally to yourself. Don't tell anybody. All right, Lord, here's something as an expression of my love for you that I want to subtract from my life during this next six weeks. Or perhaps... Here's something as an expression of my love for you that I want to add to my life for the next six weeks. Greater Love Project. What could you do as a simple vow? And if you start to grow a beard in the next month, we'll know. <laughs> no, I'm just teasing about that part. Is there a depth of walk with God which is deeper and out of which flows your life? Yeah, yeah, I encourage you. The Apostle Paul gave us a window into his life. We see it in his vow, and then we see it also, I think, in his trust, as we see it in this as well. The Apostle Paul, now then, as we read the Scripture, we see that they come into Ephesus, verse 19, and he left them there, but he himself went into the synagogue and reasoned with the Jews. When they asked him to stay for a longer period, he declined. But on taking leave of them, he said, I will return to you if God wills. And he set sail from Ephesus. Now, again, these are just little details, travelogue types of things. But here, think about what's going on. The apostle Paul planted this church in Corinth. A key part of that were these people, Priscilla and Aquila. Aquila and Priscilla, the, uh, this husband-wife team. They were from Rome. They were living in Corinth. They became a part of Paul's ministry. And when Paul leaves Corinth, he takes them with him. It's as if, he, it's as if he's training them. It's as if he's leading them into in ministry. And uh, when he gets to Ephesus there, he's with them, but then he leaves them there and he goes somewhere else. I think this telling that a church is starting in Ephesus and the key big old big-time church planter is leaving. He's going to trust Priscilla and Aquila to show the leadership to that church over the course of what turns out to be an extensive period of time. Now, it may very well be because it common, sometimes was done that what the Apostle Paul had done was taken his hair cut and it was going to bring it to Jerusalem and present it at the temple there. That was sometimes done at the close of a Nazarite vow. Now, again, we're just speculating about this. But when the Apostle Paul gets there, he had work to do, right? Work to do. But he said, I can't do my work right now. I've got a job to finish. And so he goes all the way, the Bible tells us, to Caesarea, and then up to, it doesn't say Jerusalem, but it means Jerusalem to the church there, over to his hometown in Antioch, then comes all around the northern passage, all the way back to Ephesus. He has now traveled 1,500 miles by the time he returns to Ephesus. During that time, Priscilla and Aquila are starting this church there. I am just impressed by the way that God, he was willing to trust God by leaving Ephesus. He knew that this ministry was not about him it was about God. And so when they asked him to stay for a longer period, he declined. 
I will return to you if God wills. And he set sail from Ephesus. The apostle Paul seems to just have tried to follow day by day God's leadership in his life. So what do we see as an example in the apostle Paul? I think we see spiritual depth. There's a depth to his life. There's something real and deep about his life. And it wasn't just all on the surface. You see, when God works in our lives, brings transformation, brings transformation from the inside out in the root structure of our lives, others may see the fruit, but fruit comes as a result of root. Go deeper. And perhaps there is a way in which you want to express your love to God in the next six or seven weeks that might be just between you and Him. Something you want to add. Something you want to take away as an expression of your love. Well, that's Paul the apostle from Tarsus. Next look at Apollos, the missionary from Alexandria. Apollos, the missionary from Alexandria. We see that once Paul leaves, soon someone else shows up. Now a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. He was an eloquent man, competent in the Scriptures. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord and being fervent in spirit. He spoke and taught accurately the things concerning Jesus, though he knew only the baptism of John. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue, but when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him and explained to him the way of God more accurately. And when he wished to cross to Achaia, that means he's going to go over to Corinth, back from Ephesus to Corinth, the brothers encouraged him and wrote to the disciples to welcome him. And when he arrived, he greatly helped those who through grace had believed. For he powerfully refuted the Jews in public, showing by the Scriptures that the Messiah was none other than Jesus himself. This guy, Apollos, shows up. And he's a guy in Scripture. We'd love to know more about him. There's very little about him in Scripture. There's this story, a couple of references in the book of 1 Corinthians, a reference here or there. But the Apo Apollos was a gifted leader. We see his uh, incredible intellect. Now, he had come from Alexandria. That was on the northern part of Africa as part of Egypt. It was one of the three main cities of the whole Roman Empire, a center of huge learning. In fact, when the Bible was translated into Greek about 200 years before Jesus, it was done there in Alexandria so those Jewish uh, people who didn't speak uh, Hebrew anymore could have the, the Bible translated to them in Greek. This was the, pl the place of Philo, some other great uh, philosophers. Alexandria was a place of great learning. Great library was there, and the Apollos came from there, a gifted, intellectual leader with great enthusiasm. And he had come to teach about Jesus. Now, there's a mystery in some of this. Some people think Apollos was a devout, already a follower of Jesus. Others think maybe he didn't know enough to really be considered a follower of Jesus. The truth is there is a mystery in that, and someone would have to make a speculation about that. But in any case, here he is speaking in the synagogue. It was commonly done. The apostle Paul did that. Priscilla and Aquila are there in the synagogue, and they come and they hear Apollos come to speak in the synagogue, and then... They, they realize that he doesn't quite know all the facts about Jesus yet. So it says they meet him afterwards and explain to him the way of God more accurately. And then what we find out is that he was quick to adapt, quick to adapt to the truth that he heard. He was not prideful. He was willing to receive. He was willing to accept correction. He wanted to be accurate and truthful, and so we see his humility. 
You know, it's hard if you get up and speak and someone says to you, oh, that's kind of hard, you know, to say, oh, maybe I was wrong, you know. The Apollos was willing to accept that. And then we see that he's described in this as a man who is fervent, verse 25, fervent in spirit. And then it says that he, uh, he greatly helped those who believed. In verse 28, he says, he powerfully refuted, showing by the Scriptures. We see in Apollos an example, I would call his example, spiritual fervor, spiritual enthusiasm. This was a guy who did not want to keep his faith merely private unto himself. His faith changed the way that he lived. He was enthusiastic as he talked towards other people. You know, just like Paul's example might invite me to ask the question, do I have a depth to my spirituality? I'm walking with God in the private, secret places of my life. I might ask about this. Is there a breadth to my spirituality? Am I willing to take the risk to talk to people about Christ and what He's meant to me? Do I keep my lamp under a bushel? Or am I like Apollos, fervent in spirit? Am I willing to talk to people about my faith in Christ? That's one way that spirit, Christian spirituality works, and we certainly see it at work in Apollos' life that way. Apollos, the missionary from Alexandria. And so he had come to Ephesus, and then he goes to Corinth where he established a ministry. In fact, he was such a powerful preacher, it's an important part, such an important part of that church in Corinth that later on when Paul wrote to the church in Corinth, that's the church to the Corinthians, the letter to the Corinthians, there were people who say, you know, I follow Paul and I follow Apollos and the apostle Paul and say, wait a minute, it's all about Jesus. See, Apollos was a gifted, enthusiastic, spiritual, fervent, zealous leader. And perhaps the way God wants to work in your life is to give you a little more overt enthusiasm to let the work of God flow out in your conversation with other people. Maybe that's how God wants to transform you. Now, there's a third story in here, and I put it this way. Priscilla, the tent maker from Rome. That's the third example. Priscilla, the tent maker from Rome. See, when Priscilla and Aquila sat in the synagogue that day and heard Apollos talk about Jesus, they realized that uh, he didn't have quite all the facts, that he needed some more things. And so the Bible says to, uh, says to us that, um, that uh, when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him and explained to him the way of God more accurately. I think there is tremendous spiritual discernment in this. That will be the fill in the blank as we get to it. There is tremendous spiritual discernment in this. You know, they were sitting there, and they didn't embarrass Apollos in front of everybody else. They didn't say, by the way, Apollos, you know, what they did is they met him privately. And they probably brought him over to their house. And he said, you know, we're followers of Jesus too, but perhaps there's some things you don't know about the subsequent ministry of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And they had tremendous spiritual discernment. They had sensitivity. They didn't, she didn't embarrass him. She had a way of, of, of discerning what God was doing in his life. See, when Priscilla looked, and Aquila, when they looked at Apollos, they knew they saw a sincerely devout person. And so they didn't castigate him. They didn't jump all over him. They accepted the truth of his spiritual journey and helped them move the next step. Sometimes Christians need that. Sometimes Christians hear people saying things which are not quite right spiritually, but they come from people who are devout and serious and seeking after God. And instead of jumping all over them and just, you know, 
you know, vomiting the gospel all over them. Just, you know, just do maybe affirm what's true about their life. Say, I'm really glad you're on this spiritual journey. You know, and here's some things about Jesus that have really become meaningful to me. As you're honestly exploring spiritual things, I'd like to encourage you to take a look at Jesus. You know, spiritual discernment. Whereas Apollos was really out there, Priscilla seemed to have been more discerning. And I think it's important to note, I mentioned the name Priscilla because if you notice it, her name is listed first. They were a married couple. But for the most part, as they speak about them, they say Priscilla and Aquila. This is one example among many in the book of Acts which show that women had significant places of ministry leadership. Significant. They weren't simply identified by the man they were married to or the children that they had. They had a ministry of their own. And so we see that, generally speaking, when we hear about Priscilla and Aquila, we see her name first. Not all the time, but most of the time. And in the Scriptures, you're always very intentional about whose names come first, you know. There's a reason why Peter, James, and John are the first disciples listed every time, and the last one is, guess who? Judas. You do, you, you do it on purpose that way. And they mentioned Priscilla, and we see that she, and she's mentioned various times in the book of Romans as well and other places as being significant. So she had a significant ministry along with her husband. She didn't embarrass him. She had spiritual discernment. And I think, especially as I think about Priscilla representing women, often you women have some spiritual discernment that we need to hear. We need to hear what you have to say. Yeah. But we guys can have some spiritual discernment too, right? Yeah. So how does God work in our lives? The Apostle Paul reminds us that there's deep spiritual depth to my life that I... Uh, Make vows and have a, a, a quiet place where God is working. Apollos reminds me there's spiritual breath to my life, that the, the love of God flows through me and wants me to, to share with others that there's breath. Priscilla reminds us that this is a spiritual discernment in my life, a way of seeing things out there that may not be clearly obvious to others. You know, I've often wondered what would have happened if Apollos had shown up in the synagogue and Paul hadn't been off the scene. Remember, Paul was there in Ephesus, uh, in, 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 in Ephesus, but he left. I just, I can't, I'm not sure Paul would have been as sensitive to that situation as Priscilla was. Do you agree with me? Are you, are you tracking with me? Luke tells us that Paul showed up in Ephesus, spent a few weeks in the synagogue, took off. They invited him to stay, and now he's gone on a 1,500-mile journey. While he's gone, Apollos shows up. I don't know that this is true, but I think it's probably part of God's providence that, a, that Paul was not there. Paul would have jumped all over Apollos if I know Paul. He would have said, hey, stop it. Don't say that in church, you know. And they would have had an argument right there, and Paul would have been right, but he would have, again, I don't want to hopefully Paul would have had more smarts than that, and I'm, I'm reading into don't take this as gospel truth. But it seems to me that Priscilla had a discerning eye. And when the Spirit works in your life, sometimes the, the right thing to do is to talk, like Apollos or Paul would have done. And sometimes the right thing to do is to listen, to be discerning. 
So we have Priscilla and her example. And there's one more that I want to hit on at the end here as we kind of close our time together. And it's part, we didn't have time to read it, and I didn't have Justin read it for you. But I wanted to finish Paul on a circuitous journey and pick up a little bit in the 19th chapter before we close out this talk, okay? A fourth example, okay? Remember, um, it says uh, 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 that Paul had left them in Ephesus, and then it says uh, in verse 22 of 18, when he landed at Caesarea, that means he took a boat, he went up and greeted the church. That means Jerusalem. It doesn't say Jerusalem, but you always go up to Jerusalem. And then went down to Antioch. That means he traveled north to Antioch. After spending some time there, he departed and went from one place to the next through the region of Galatia and Phrygia, strengthening all the disciples, returning to some churches. And then go, Apollos shows up. And then verse 9, chapter 19 and verse 1, and it happened that while Apollos was at Corinth, this is confusing, I know, but Apollos, who was in Ephesus, now went to Corinth, And then it says, Paul passed through the inland country and came to Ephesus, and there he found some disciples. And he said to them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said, no, we've not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. And he said, into what then were you baptized? And they said, into John's baptism. They're called disciples, but we're not told who they are disciples of. It appears as though they're disciples of John, not of Jesus. Had we more time, we could talk about the tremendous worldwide ministry of John the Baptist, but that's not on today's topic, okay? These, these disciples, into what were you baptized? Into John's baptism. Remember, John did a baptism to repentance. Well, Paul told him that. And Paul said John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling people to believe in the one who was to come after him, that is Jesus. On hearing this, they are baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them. They began to speak in tongues and prophesying, and there were about 12 men in all. So for this fourth group, we would just call them the unnamed disciples from Ephesus. The unnamed disciples from Ephesus. First of all, we see their, their ignorance. They're devout. They're sincere. But they don't know about Jesus just yet. They know about John. What had John come to say? John had come to say, the kingdom of God is coming. Repent and get ready for the coming of the king. That was what his message was. And so these guys were still looking for the coming. They probably didn't know that Jesus was that one. So the Apostle Paul had the opportunity to share with them the beauty of the story of Jesus so that they could respond in faith to Him, be baptized, and receive the Holy Spirit as an evidence of God's blessing in their life, and there are about 12 of them. So we see their ignorance, but then we also see their receptiveness. Their receptiveness. They were willing to be responsive. They were sincere even though they were not fully understanding. And so we see here an example of what I would call spiritual responsiveness. Spiritual responsiveness. You know, they were willing to simply respond to the gospel as it was shared with them. And they surrendered themselves to Jesus and to the power of His Spirit in their lives. So we see Christian spirituality at work in four different ways vignettes, if you will. We first of all see Paul, you know, the apostle from Tarsus, as an example of, you know, of spiritual depth. He went deep. He made a vow. Maybe that's what you need to do in your relationship with God. And we see also Apollos, the missionary from Alexandria. And we see 
his spiritual fervor, his spiritual enthusiasm, his spiritual breadth, that he was not content to keep the good news inside himself. He wanted to share with others. Maybe that's the transforming power that the Spirit wants to make in your life. And then we see Priscilla and her husband Aquila, the tent maker from Rome, and we see their sensitivity and their spiritual discernment. And maybe that's what the Spirit is trying to say to you. You're looking at a situation, but you're seeing it on the externals, not on the internals. There's something deeper going on here. Maybe the Spirit wants to transform you in that way. Or perhaps you like those guys on the outskirts of Ephesus, and you've been following after the truth, but you didn't know that Jesus was the ultimate answer to the questions that you were asking. I encourage you to be spiritually responsive and to surrender yourself to Jesus Christ and allow Him to begin that transforming work in your life. If you do, God will make you deeper than you ever thought possible, broader than you ever thought reasonable, more sensitive and discerning than you ever thought imaginable, and God will give you the power of His Holy Spirit to change you from the inside out. Respond in faith to Him. Let's pray as we close. Dear Jesus, we're grateful and thankful for these little stories in the Bible. We see Your work in the life of Paul and Apollos, Priscilla, and the unnamed disciples. And uh, we're grateful to see that You work in all of us in various different ways. Help us to remember that Christianity is not just a set of topics to believe but as a person to receive. And help us remember, too, that in receiving of you, you already have given yourself to us, that you gave your life for us. You live your life in us through your Holy Spirit. I pray that you would transform us in the way that only you can do. Make us deeper than we ever were, broader than we ever were, more discerning than we ever have been, and more responsive to your Spirit. In Jesus' name I pray.